Just a quick warning before today's episode. There is some discussion of suicidal thoughts in this episode. If you or someone you know are having suicidal thoughts, please call or text 988 for help. To prevent, Suicide PA website also provides additional resources. The UPMC sports medicine experts in Central PA are here to help keep you in the game and improve your quality of life, no matter your age or activity level. Visit upmc.com slash centralpasportsmed to learn more. Welcome back, folks, to another exciting episode of our PA High School Football Report podcast. I'm your host, Nebia Size, here with my co-host and high school sports editor, Brian Linder. We're bringing you another week, another episode of Central PA Football News. Not to mention, it is our producer, Megan Levy-Heaton's birthday today. So be sure you all tweet her on, on Twitter and, and, and shout her out, give her a happy birthday uh, mention. Nonetheless, Brian, how you doing this week, man? I'm hanging in there, Nebby, man. It's just another busy week. You know, we got a lot going on. We got some, you know, looking at some film now and starting to break down kids as we get into the spring. A lot of kids are already starting seven on sevens. You know, we always talk about football being year round, man. And it's actually starting to really heat back up. But, you know, it kind of gets a little low there. Is there, you know, a little, little slow as everybody's kind of figuring out signing days in February and stuff like that. And we still have some kids making college decisions there. Um, but, you know, we're doing a lot, Nebby. Nebby, I just look back through the last 20 years of the number one ranked prospects in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. I saw that, man. That was a great post there. Your man, your man oh. Michael Parsons was among the tops of that list. How about Darrell Rebus was 25th in his class? Aaron I would have never thought 14th. that. Aaron Donald was 14th. Mm-hmm. Now look at how their t- careers turned out. You know who rivals ranked as the fifth, rank, fifth best player in the state? In our 2005 class, oh. our guest this week, Ned. <laughs> <laughs> well, you go ahead and do the pleasure of introducing. No, 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 no. <laughs> you, you got all the making up to do. You're supposed to know that. <laughs> <laughs> well, excuse me, and thank you for correcting me, uh, Brian, my good friend. This week, ladies and gentlemen, we have Michael Simpson, a Harrisburg High School graduate, former University of Virginia running back and a former Cincinnati Bengal. Michael, I appreciate you joining us this week, man. How you doing? Good, man. I appreciate the opportunity to get, get to have a nice chat with you guys about ball. No doubt. Absolutely. I think we can just get right into it. I mean, Michael, you're you're one of those special, very unique people. Um, your career spoke for itself. I mean, sort of, if you can, you know, take us through your high school playing days and what that was like for you suiting up in the black and gray. Yeah, so it's probably the best feeling. Just being able to play with your homies that you grew up with, being able to play in front of your family and friends, you know, they all come to the game. Um, high school, we had our ups and downs, you know, uh, my sophomore season, we were one and nine, um, you know, and then we came back that next year. We were the first team to go to the district. We won, I think it was like eight and two, ended up losing to Cumberland Valley. Uh, and that's kind of the year everything kicked off for me as far as being, you know, a national recruit. Um, coming off that year, I went up to Penn State for the Nike camp. Um, and I produced good numbers up there and came away as a top five player. And the next week, you know, schools are calling, what's your SAT? You know, so I had that lined up, you know, thankful for my father. You know, he made me take that early 10th grade, get that out the way. Um, and that way, you know, once the school started to call, I was able to tell them, you know, academically, uh, I meet the criteria and literally, you know, 20, 30 offers 
scholarships started to come, you know, over the next couple months, um, those were, were definitely some of the best times, you know, and uh, I love playing football at that level because you can play both ways. You know, in college, they kind of eliminate you to one position. I love playing defensive back in high school as well. Was highly rated in that position as well. Had scholarships for that too. Um, but, you know, in college, you couldn't ever do that. So, yeah, I definitely cherish high school. And um, I think the most memorable moment is whenever we played McDevitt. I, I genuinely believe that is the best game that I've ever played in, the intensity, the rivalry. Um, the, the, the people that we played against, they were all, you know, great players, went on, some went on to be NFL players. So, yeah, that battle between McDevitt was definitely my standout moments in high school. I, I've been trying to talk them into getting that game back, man. I mean, that's a shame, right? How much of a shame is that to McDevitt and Ashburn are playing right now? Personally, I think it's a crime. Like it's that it's no, it's that serious. You know, when you think of the talent, you think of the history, you think of the traditions, just for that to be stripped because of, you know, maybe a few people's dislikes for whatever the case may be, but the picture is bigger than just those people at that table making those decisions. They gotta take in, you know, all the history, all the people who, you know, come from different areas and states just to have seen that game because you were sure there were gonna be at least three or four division one guys that you were gonna be seeing on Saturday in that game. You know, Brian, I remember being a kid um, in the city of Harrisburg. I'm from Allison Hill myself, but um, going to the Bishop McDevin Harrisburg game on a Saturday morning, and you could see the Harrisburg football team walking down to McDevitt's old mm -hmm. football field or during basketball season, you'd see Co Coach Smallwood taking the guys and they'd walk on foot to the basketball game. I mean, what, like, I know you said that was an exciting feeling, but what was that like for you and your teammates? I mean, you know, going against some of the guys who were ultimately from your neighborhood. No, it, it was, like I said, no other game matched that type of mm -hmm. feeling. Um, and like you said, you just mentioned, we walked to the game. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like that, that lets you know how close this, this rivalry is, how close these friends are. Um, and we actually won the one year. Actually, my only two wins against McDevitt was at McDevitt. Mm -hmm. So I got to walk back trophy. You know, that was a different feeling as opposed to playing at home and having to walk back with a loss. You know, so it was definitely, you know, a good feeling. Um, and then, like I said, when they had, you know, LaShawn McCoy, Aaron Berry, you know, those guys, Jeremy Ricker, so highly rated, you know, and, and we didn't have a lot of guys that were, like, highly rated, you know what I mean, mm -hmm. to go out there and still be able to beat those guys. Um, like I said, that was our best season, you know, in high school. We made the playoffs that year. The Battle of Market Street, man. Uh, many people don't know you were a two-way, you were a two-time athlete. I don't know if you played a third sport, but you were also really good in basketball, too. I mean, and you guys had some success there in the years that you were there. I mean, sort of give us some insight into that. Yeah, so uh, basketball was my number one passion growing up, right? Mm -hmm. um, long story short, I was number one player going in the state of Pennsylvania going into high school basketball. I had the first day, literally in high school, I had letters from Florida State, Clemson, mm -hmm. and Maryland. Um, but that summer, playing AAU, we went down to national tournament in Florida, and the speaker started breaking down the statistics between the NFL and NBA and how the NBA is 12 spots, and it's open to the world. Half the draft is foreign now, and NFL is 53 with only, you know, Americans playing. So that kind of started to mold me more into push all my eggs into the football basket. So by time, you know, my senior year, I didn't even play basketball. But I won the state championship, and I started like 20 games our freshman year. Um, came back second, sophomore year. We made the districts. Uh, we won the districts, actually. Lost in the states, but I made all district as well. 
Um, my junior year, I wasn't even going to play. Like, I first five or six games, you check, I didn't play. I was, like, really focused on football because the offer started to come, and I wanted to lift weights and, you know, be in shape uh, to take that on to the next level. Um, but, nah, my senior year, I didn't even play. And then I also ran track. So uh-huh. uh, I was fastest guy, you know, in, in our school, 10th, 11th, and 12th grade as well, and 100, 200, and I did the 4 by one and 4 by 4 um, but I didn't win districts in any of that, you know what I mean? But I, I always made it to the, to the finals in districts. I made it to state. Um, but the thing with track was it was a sport that only sport that can actually teach you how to run fast and then give you the opportunity. So football average play is six seconds. You're not really opening up hundred percent too much during the football play and training for football is more endurance and built for the fourth quarter, not necessarily burst of speed. Um, basketball, it's sudden, you know, it's stopping and going and it works on your lateral quickness and, you know, um, your vertical and whatnot, but it's not opening that true speed up. So track, I ran solely to benefit football and, you know, I, it definitely paid off. Um, when you look at the game tape, speed was definitely my, you know, key factor in, in, in making, you know, plays and scoring touchdowns. So it definitely helped me a lot. Yeah, I definitely always enjoyed watching those battles against you guys and still in and you playing with Lawrence Ham and Alfonso Burnett and those guys, man. Those were some great teams. So moving on from from Harrisburg, you go to the University of Virginia. Ultimately, what was the deciding factor for you to go to Virginia, be a Cavalier and sort of take us through that process? So um came down to Alabama and Virginia. Mm-hmm. Um, I took my other visits to Florida, UCLA, Michigan State. Uh, the, the thing that made me go to University of Virginia was is Anthony Poindexter. He's the coach at Penn State right now. Um, he, he was everything advertised. When he came to my house, he was a straight shooter, you know, and when I got to school, he stuck to the same. And you don't typically see that in recruiting. It's red carpet. We tell you what you like. We get you here and it's uh, whatever. You know what I mean? And he was genuine. And still to this day, you know, I keep in contact, talk to him often. Um, Man, he was he was the ultimate decision maker. And then, two, I wanted my family to be able to enjoy these moments, be able to come to games. So Alabama, you know, that's a 12-hour drive. And Virginia's only three and a half hours straight down 81. So, you know, that, that kind of played a factor into it as well. Those two, the coach, you know, and being my family, being able to be there to celebrate, you know, those moments. Mm-hmm. And that'd be one of my favorite things to do back when I was covering, like, college football some. And the MEAC covered South Carolina State for years. and and Bethune-Cookman, uh, and, and, and a couple other programs, too, because I don't want to single out a single program. It's fun to watch those freshmen come in, get those first couple practices when the coaches went from being their buddies mm-hmm. and telling them what they want to hear, mm-hmm. calling them buddy, to calling them, you know, mf <laughs> Right. Because yeah. you're fixing to lose, cost them their job if you don't, you don't get right. It's different, right, Mikhail? I mean. Absolutely. But, uh. I'll be honest, I got that awakening before we even hit the field. When you go to camp and reporting, you look at that depth chart before you go to that first team meeting and you come in as a four-star and you're expecting to hopefully play or at least be in contention to play and you're sitting ninth on the depth chart on day one, you know, that opened my eyes right there. It's like, you know what? Prove myself. Like, Clearly, whatever I did in high school, they do not care if I can't show it on this actual field at this level. So, yeah, I got that rude awakening day one. (laughs) 
The UPMC sports medicine experts in Central PA are here to help keep you in the game and improve your quality of life, no matter your age or activity level. Visit upmc.com slash centralpasportsmed to learn more. I wanted to segue off of Brian's point. I know you talked about it being a rude awakening and it could be overwhelming looking at the depth chart. It's because, you know, in Little League, you know, you know, who you're better than. So you can go into those, you know, first day of football and you know, okay, I'm, I know I'm going to be starting, right? Then you get into high school and you know those guys. So it's like, yeah, I know where I stand, whether I'm not starting or not. But when you get to college, you don't know a soul. Everybody's true potential. All you may have seen them, you know, play on Saturday, but you don't know how it really is, you know, because you're not playing at that level. And you don't know if your skills are even going to transfer over and be successful at that level. So, you know, that that kind of was the eye opening point. Like I said, it was it was it was different because I was used to knowing what was going on. I was used to knowing my coaches and how they coach, knowing the structure of practice to literally going basically blindfolded. You know, in college, when that whistle blows, you know, practices are structured by periods and each period has a time and a certain amount of plays that you're going to hit. And when that buzz, that horn blows, you don't walk, you sprint to the next. And all of that was different because in high school, you know, it's a lot laid back. It's, you can walk around, you can take water breaks, you can, you know, you can kind of do those things. High school is mostly playing for fun. College is work. It's business. And, mm-hmm. and, and that's why the coaches go from, you know, you're my buddy getting you here to, to really, you know, it's, a, it's an eye opener for a lot of freshmen and it's a big hurdle. And, you know, I tell a lot of these freshmen, you know, all these coaches you think are your friends. Mm-hmm. They might like you, sure. They probably care about you, but when you when they when they vouch for you and you sign on that dotted line, and you're you're coming off the board and they put their name next to you, you're their job. You know Absolutely. you're you're gonna you're gonna make or break their their their, their career, um, at least at that at that institution. So it it changes the minute you hit head on that college football field. It's all a big business and. Uh, and um and and they're going to let you know about it, so it's it's kind and, of fun. And the interesting fun. thing is, you know, if you actually take in what's happening around you, you can see when you're warming up to play, recruits standing all on the sideline. Some play your position that they're looking in, come looking to bring them in and make you compete for a spot. So like. It's like when you really take it all in, you have to understand it is literally play by play. And they're going to grade you on each play at that level. And if it's not meeting out, it's not my parent can call, hey, why isn't my son playing? Blah, he's better. No, they have data stacked up that's showing percentages on pass blocking or making the right reads running, making sure that you made the right release, you know, and check that. Like it's it's all business. And it's like I said, you can't take things personal. Like, you know, coaches are definitely going to, you, you know, yell at you. That's going to happen. Their, their salaries depend on it. Their livelihoods depend on it. And ultimately, yours should too, because the reason, you know, a lot of people play the game is to be able to provide that financial stability for their families and families to come after that. Michael, I heard the last bit of what you just talked about in the transition and uh, to playing at that high level that you played at. I sort of want to kind of get into your story right because your story is a touching one you were one of the most talked about D's I didn't know you were to like probably going into college but um you were one of the most respected DBs in the area 
and uh, you, you you dealt with a big injury that kind of ended your football career. And I want to kind of get into that because I know that's a, a touchy subject for you. Yeah. But um, for, for kids like myself who grew up watching you, it was like, man, we were robbed of one of the best guys of the area. Yeah. So, you know, um, we were actually playing Indiana. And I got tackled. It wasn't even a hard hit or anything. And I experienced a double stinger, which is tingling sensation, you know, from your shoulder down to your fingers. And typically you get a stinger on one side, but because it was double, um, they, they carted me off, um, you know, and I went to the hospital and everything checked out fine. And I continued to play. And that happened my senior year in college. I continued to play um, after one game. So any injury that you report in college, you know, whether it's, you know, you went to the training because you broke a fingernail, all that gets turned over to the NFL personnel. So when I arrived in Cincinnati at 12 o'clock, MRIs and x-rays started at 1230, and I didn't get done until 630. And the first thing they did was put me in um, the MRI machine for, for my neck, you know, and they got those results back in around, I want to say, 6 o'clock, 630-ish, and we had a team meeting at 730. So I'm sitting in there in the room waiting for um, – the meeting started just kind of looking over the playbook, kind of getting a feel for what I can expect for tomorrow's practice. And um, the the trainer comes in, and I didn't know it was a trainer at the time. I thought maybe I forgot to sign somewhere, you know, on the paperwork and whatnot. But he pulls me in the, the, the office, and he gives me a CD, and he says, this is your images of your neck and, you know, documentations on what's going on. And all I remember is him saying that your flight's going to be here in an hour. So, like, it happened that fast and got me, you know, back home that fast. So, like, it was it was a lot to process. It was hard to process because it happened so rapid, so unexpected. Um, I honestly, if we're being 100, I just remember going back home on a plane and I was saying to myself, I wish the plane crashes and everybody lives with me. You know, because I didn't want to go back and face my family, face my community. Um, so I went to Italian Lake that night. And I sat till about four or five in the morning. Uh, and then I went and slept in my car, you know, and then I went in, in the house finally. And it was like, man, I don't, I can't even explain that. Right. All I know is during that next day, I was depressed, suicide, you know, the whole night. So um, looking back during that time, the only thing that I can think that made me happy was being around kids. Right. You know, just naturally you're a football player. Kids look up to you. You naturally fit that role model. Right. I had nieces and nephews who their initials are right on my eye, you know, my in my gloves. So I said, you know what? I'm own child. Like I said, there wasn't ideal right situation, whatever the case may be. Right. I had my daughter, Miley. So her birth changed my life and made me straighten back up. Like during that time man I'm literally in Miami and you know Vegas and New York Atlanta just trying to party and just kind of escape all of reality of what is really taking place um you know and then you turn on the TV and you see a bunch of your peers and friends who you know like I can play at this level with these guys and they're on TV playing having fun and like that really beats you up right so I think I need to do something else to leave a different legacy which was then to start a nonprofit in basic honor of my daughter. So when I developed Capital Rebirth, which is capital, which is Harrisburg, um, the rebirth stands for the birth of her rebirth in my life. So the rebirth stands for respect earned by intelligence, resilience, truth, and humanity. Um, you know, like I said, 
those process kind of started knowing that I was having a child in this community. What can I do to better this community for what she's going to be growing up and living? And that's, you know, how the ball got rolling. Um, so right now we do a lot of community engagements, you know, with the hopes of potentially our own facility where we can do all the programming that we want. Um, you know, some people may know that we tried to purchase William Penn. Uh, they decided a year ago not to sell the building. We just basically wanted to bring back the trades, you know, and open that up for kids and adults. Um, you know, so that stability is actually created within the house because we, we talk about, you know, the education, we talk about poverty, we talk about crime rate. But until you have financial stability in a home, those problems are going to continue. So that's really was our focus for William Penn because when you look at our community, um, when, you, when you talk to a lot of the people who are in the they don't really typically want to be in the streets, right? But they, they don't feel like they can go get a job that's going to pay them, you know, a decent amount to have financial stability or because they may have, you know, ran into the law, you know, back in the day or past time that they can't get these jobs that will be able to, you know, set them up financially free. But when you look at, you know, electric and plumbing and drywalling and, you know, construction, you know, they can go get certificates in those fields and be right back in their community making sixty, seventy, eighty thousand dollars and then actually rebuilding the communities that people say they once destroyed. So to me, it was a win-win. Um, like I said, I'm gonna to continue to, to try to bring that, you know, that dream to life, but that's kind of who Capital Rebirth is. Michael, you just unloaded a lot just now, and that was extremely substantial, powerful. I mean, talk about taking your pain and turning it into passion and, and, and power, you know, the feeding back into your community. You're resilient, man. I appreciate everything you're doing. You've certainly been someone for, you know, a guy like myself to look up to. And I just appreciate what you and guys like Danny Lansin and Jawan Chisholm are doing for the city of Harrisburg because it's like you guys played at those 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 high levels, right? And though um, football wasn't the end-all, be-all, you're still instilling positivity back into these neighborhoods, which you, you came from. So major kudos to you. And if nobody's told you, we're proud of you here, man. And mental health and awareness is real. You get what I'm saying? The fact that you can identify that and speak on that on a platform such as this shows that, you know, you were willing to 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 get past whatever hump you were going through at the time and not allow it to consume you. Yeah. It should show other people, too. I mean, you know, the biggest, baddest football players on the planet dealt with this. We know some legendary NFL players who've taken their lives, their lives. Mm -hmm. and um, And it's just, uh, you know, like Nebby said, your know, mental health, that's that's real. Michael just gave you a good example of being able to work through it. You can always try to work through it. You can always work through it. There's always options. So, you know, for anybody out there who's listening, I think that's a great example. But if that's not the way that works for you, talk to somebody and, and, and find the right way because you can find a way that works for you and work through it and, and do a lot of positives. And I do see Michael out there you know, with these flag football leagues and these events yeah. and, and, and doing a bunch of different stuff in the community, uh, you know, and so, you know, that can be you too if you're going through those situations or whatever you want it to be. Uh, it doesn't have to be the end, though. Yeah, and, and to conclude that, my my thing that helped me through was figuring out what my why was. Uh -huh. You know, why do I think I'm here? What do I think my purpose is? And what makes me happiest? Like I told you guys, I started with kids. That I love working with kids. And like I said, just being who I was, I was naturally put into a place of being a role model. Like 
that kind of initiated everything. And now you see, like Brian said, you know, the things that I do with the kids, even with our flag football league, you know, from year one to year two, it was 100 kids increase. So this year, you know, we're expecting over 200 kids. And we've also going to be adding workshops instead of, you know, coming in on a Monday and practicing, you know, parents and kids to be able to have workshops where it's like financial literacy, home ownership, culinary, self-defense, social media etiquette, these things that they need to be kind of educated on, they're giving it for free. You know what I mean? So we definitely, you know, want to focus on the education part because that's also, you know, the escape to freedom too. Michael, you're sharing a lot of powerful things with us, man. I want to kind of transition. This is a personal question I have. I mean, we talk about football on this podcast a lot, obviously. Yeah. Um, have you been paying attention to sort of like some of the top guys in the area here lately? I mean, who are some guys you feel like sort of resemble you and how you played um, when you were playing in high school or some guys you had some respect for? I know we had top guys like Michael Parsons come through here in the area. We got some young guys right now currently who are making names for themselves as well. I mean, who are some of those guys that stand out to you? So last year, Kyle Williams kind of reminded me of myself. He was that, you know, we can line you up in the slot, receiver, we can give the ball to you, you know, as a running back. Um, but I think the upcoming guys, it, I'm not sure of his name. He's at Trinity. Messiah Mickens. Messiah? Yes. Messiah Mickens? Yes. That kid, oh, he has the chances to be phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I will say that I see with a lot of the – kind of guys, younger guys that are getting offers, right? They're phenomenal. The thing that's going to help them separate themselves is speed. When you look at them, none of them truly have that separation. And that almost is the the, the biggest factor in being successful at that next level, being able to have that burst, whether you can turn this two-yard run into a 10 or this 10-yard into a 50, you know? So I would definitely encourage them. Like I said, they're young. I would encourage them to run track and get speed work, you know what I mean? But they're on the right path. The kid at Harrisburg, um, the receiver, um, Cook, Cooksey is his name, I believe. Oh, um, yeah, man, he has good size. Oh. Good size. He can catch. He, he plays the ball at the high point. Um, I think, you know what I mean, he's going to be phenomenal coming up. Um, there are a ton of guys at McDevitt. But there's one who I'm very intrigued to uh, kind of see. He played midget football for McDevitt this year. He was their best player. He was Kind of me, played mm-hmm. receiver, running back, corner. And, like, this kid was – I remember one game I went to, he returned a punt, ran it, and caught one for a touchdown. I'm like, that is football players scoring in every way possible. Um, yeah, some of the, those are some of the guys that kind of stick out to me at this point. Um, yeah, man, it, it's talent always going to be around this area. And I tell people all the time, this area is a gold mine. And, mm-hmm. you know, the right the right training for some of these guys, you'll see some of these guys on Sunday. The, the 25 or 26 class in central Pennsylvania, mid-pen, in the mid-pen, is, is pretty strong. For sure. So, as far for as sure. guys, especially. Yep. And like I said, they just need to continue to, you know, work on speed. Football, I, I know they're naturally going to work on football skills and drills and all that. But I encourage kids, speed is like that's that next next step to kind of putting you at you know another level boosting your stars up from maybe a three to a four or four to a five because when you look at those players they separate you know what i mean and and that's like i said those guys are all freshmen pretty much that i named they 
they're definitely young to have talent, but for those guys to have this much success as a freshman, because I didn't, you know what I mean, at all. So they're light years ahead of me already. Um, and I encourage any, like, any kids around here good, man. I, I root for them. I cheer for them. I don't care what school they go to. I may not publicly, you know, comment and shout things out to people, but I root for everybody, man, because at the end of the day, I don't care what school you go to because you're not affecting me at all. You know what I mean? Like, you're not taking for me so why would I not root for you you know and I think sometimes as adults we get too caught up caught up in let's say rivalries and different things you know what I mean I don't want to support this kid because he goes to this school or we don't at the end of the day they all kids man we they all need love they all need support and at the end of the day if they go on to be great in college or great in the pros everybody's going to be cheering for them anyway you know what I mean so like let's embrace those athletes let's encourage them you know what I mean because it's a lot of negativity in this world that they already have to deal with you know what I mean? Just from social media. And they don't mm-hmm. need to hear, you know, cross town, you know, parents and other players. Like, let's did that, man. Hey, you know, Brian, I only asked you, uh, Michael, that question because whenever he and I got a chance to catch up last year when Michael Parsons received the key to the city of Harrisburg for the second time, um, he, he was not only, I could I could tell he wasn't only just a football player, you were a student of the game. And we were breaking down Micah's film to me or, you know, the kind of player he is. And then, you know, comparing him to guys like Chase Edmonds from the area, I, I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, you know, he's someone who pays attention and supportive of everybody from the community of Harrisburg. So I can appreciate that as a as an athlete, an athlete fan, but also someone being from the community myself. Um, Michael, we're having a lot of great conversation here, but before we let you go, um, this is something we ask all of our guests. Um, right. What are some words of advice you would leave for, you know, football fans listening to this podcast, aspiring kids like that midget football player you talked about? who want to play high school football at the highest level and potentially be a college athlete, um, what would you talk to them about in terms of recruitment, listening to their coaches, or any type of on-field advice? The biggest thing I would give them is to be honest with yourself. You got guys who on the field may do, right? But when you go talk to them in the classroom, are they college potential? You're wasting your time, your parents and coaches and everybody's time if you're not going to do right in the classroom, right? If you're not going to walk around and be respectful with, you know, wearing heads and AirPods in school, you think that's going to fly when these college coaches come. So my thing is be honest with yourself and you'll make things a lot easier, right? So now you're not setting yourself up when signing day comes and all your friends are signing and you're wondering why you're not signing. But if you do everything right, and the sign that you are signing, then you know you did things right. Um, is recruitment, I tell people, don't always depend on your coach to get you recruited. We This is 2023, right? Now, 2005, well, five, I came out. I made my own highlight tapes and sent them to school. That's how I got recruited. Today's technology and access to all these coaches, all these camps, you can market yourself. Yeah, you, you want your coach to, you know, be able to market you too, but take that upon yourself because at the end of the day, nobody's going to care for you like you care for yourself. Well, we appreciate you for doing this. They're all over Twitter, man, so. And I, that, that's what I'm saying. Like back then, I literally had to look up every every football office, write their address down, and go put it in the mail. Now they can send stuff right to a coach. Right there. Right there. No, no, coaches, mm-hmm. even you know, and even if you know, some if a player thinks, oh, well, I don't want to do this social media wise, right? 
Here's another option. They have emails. Coaches, they have an email that is linked to their university where you can send them an email. You know what I mean? You got to shoot your shot as many ways as you can. Keep the huddle updated. Keep the grades updated. I do think coaches, part of the job, coach. We got a lot of coaches who don't send in their stats for their kids. Don't post their film. That's part of the job. You know, these these kids are looking for life-changing opportunities. We're not talking about, you know, small fries. This is, this is something that could set, change the entire course of a family. So that's important too, but it is a, it is kids do have unprecedented access these days. Um, And if they do what they're supposed to do in the classroom, even if you're just an average talent on the field and you've done what you can do in the classroom, you're probably going to get a shot somewhere. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mike, we appreciate you dropping these gems on us, my good brother. Thank you for all it is you do in the community. Continue aspiring to inspire. And we'll have you back on here sometime soon in the future. I appreciate it, man. And, and, and I definitely pay attention to all the work that y'all do, given, you know, these stories and opportunities to people to share. That's just as big. So, I, you know, shouts out to you, too. The UPMC sports medicine experts in Central PA are here to help keep you in the game and improve your quality of life, no matter your age or activity level. Visit upmc.com slash Central PA Sports Med to learn more.